Looking for a vehicle that's environmentally friendly and fun? Look no further than the Ford Mustang Mach-E available now at Jim K. Ford. This electric car will have you laughing all the way to the bank with savings on gas and maintenance costs without giving up excitement and performance. And with zero emissions, you can finally breathe easy, literally. So if you want a car that's as exhilarating as it is eco-friendly, come down to Jim K. Ford today and take a spin in one of our Mach-E's today. Visit us online at JimKFord.com. At Jim K. Ford Lincoln, we say yes! Welcome to the Jim K. Ford Sends Nation podcast with Steve Warren and the coach, Greg Kennedy. All right, welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. Coming up today, is there even one job up for grabs at Sens main training camp this fall? What championship ingredients are the Sens still missing? We'll talk about the best UFAs still available out there and much, much more. Here in the Jim K. Ford Sends Nation podcast, my name is Steve Warren, along with the coach, Greg Kennedy. Greg, what's going on with you today? Well, I'm, I'm back from Montreal, Stephen. Had a great weekend with my uh, men's team of Lebanon, men's national hockey team of Lebanon. We had a we had three friendlies with the Greeks. It was uh, it was fun. It was a it was a good weekend. Three good games. It's hard to imagine calling a hockey game a friendly. Was it friendly or was it a little dust-ups? For, for the most part, yes, it was friendly. There were two fights in mm-hmm. the in the third period of the third game. Shocker, you know, that, that, that some emotions might come out by the time you get to the third game. And, and we'd right. scored, we scored uh, 29 goals in the three games, so they were a little... Uh, Maybe maybe the Greeks were a little ticked at some point. <clears throat> Sorry about that, boys. It went well. It was it was good. It was very uh, it was enjoyable. It really was. That's 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 the number one thing. I had a good time. I really did. Good. That's great. Back to the fighting thing and the familiarity <laughs> breeds contempt concept. I was just thinking about when you said that how I used to think that was going to be an awesome thing. You know, when when twenty twenty, I think it was. They decided on that all Canadian division and playing like nine, 10 games against each. I was thinking that's going to be awesome. That's going to be so good. When it turned out as a fan, it was like, oh my God, these guys again, I really did get tired of that. And it looked like the players got tired of playing each other as well. It wasn't particularly venomous. I think that only that, that familiarity breeds contempt thing, Greg, I think that only exists in the postseason. When you bring it to the regular season, at least in that year, it didn't seem to be the didn't seem to be applicable. Well, I think that the time is probably the number one factor. Like, yes, they played each other a lot, but they weren't playing uh, like a seven game series in fourteen days or anything. And it wasn't right. like it was the only game you played either. You played games in between. Yeah, they had some of those back to backs, but uh, for the most part, those games were pretty well spread out against a certain opponent. And other than, uh, I think Leon Dreisaitl and. Uh, Connor McDavid had fun with it. They, they they certainly enjoyed their time playing all those games against Ottawa. But you're right that that sort of side of it never did come out, and and I think it was probably due to the the time factor. And also, they probably didn't want to be sweating all over, spitting on each other too. They're probably still a little paranoid about COVID. Didn't didn't want to be spreading things amongst themselves. Probably that probably factored into it. I bet. Yeah, you mentioned it earlier. It was what are they? They go nine and zero against the Sens that year. Yeah. That was and the two of them that had was like, not good. The two of them had like eight and nine point games one night, didn't they? It was uh, they weren't that good, but they were good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. for sure. Uh, let's jump in. We got lots to get to here, and uh, was looking ahead to the fall. And these are the things you do in the middle of July, still uh, well out from the start of training camp. And I got to thinking, 
Is there even one job up for grabs at Sen's main training camp this fall? Certainly nothing obvious that jumps out at you when you consider that, you know, you brought in Dominic Kubalik, who will right now, I think, be penned in exactly where Alex Dabrinkit was, and that's on the left side in the top six. So you've got Kachuk, Norris, and Batherson. That's just one possibility in the top six. And then Kubalik, Norris, and Giroux. I think we can agree those are the top six as they lay right now. Then it's Pinto between maybe Greg, Ridley Greg, and Matthew Joseph. And then the final line, the fourth line, Castellick between Kelly and newcomer Zach McEwen. Your defense, Sanderson with Chikrin, Shabbat and Zub, Brandstrom with Hamannick, and then your goalies, Corpusalo and Forsberg. There really isn't going to be a lot of battles for jobs at training camp, maybe with a few exceptions. Yeah, I think the, the battles are going to come down to the, the the sixth and seventh defenseman, maybe even the fifth, sixth, seventh defenseman. Does does Clevin get a sniff in there? Does JBD get a sniff in there? Um, I, I think when you look at the forward group, like I'm with you that Ridley Gregg is probably more of a top nine, like a third line guy. But then then again, you've got this uh, Schmeigel, Schmeigel, whatever, however you say it. I just keep thinking of the guy yes. from Saturday Night Live. What's the guy's name on Saturday Night Live had the same name, right? Robert Schmeigel, I think. Wasn't he Mr. Bill? Anyway, um, I oh, think he was that, the guy that actually, yeah, he's the guy that did all those uh, short Saturday TV funhouse cartoons, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that that guy gets a look, a serious look at a, at a third line, maybe even second line. You know, that guy probably gets a look in the middle six. Um, yeah, you're he, speaking of Yuri Smeichel, by the way, and they, you uh, thank you. His coach, his coach last season actually referred to him as the Czech Hulk. Yeah. So okay. a big lad. And if you're looking for more grit in your bottom six, Michael is certainly a name of interest. Does he rob? Does the old guys, the old standbys, Robbie Arventi, does Igor Sokolov, do, do these two guys get a sniff finally? I, I just keep looking at them and seeing that their games aren't really suited to fourth line. The, the type of game that, that they both play isn't really suited to fourth line. So I don't know that they'll ever make it in that sense. Um, just mm-hmm. this, this you brought up uh, Tyler Boucher. Does Tyler? I think you think that maybe Tyler Boucher maybe gets gets a sniff, don't you? He's just another person of interest that I would not completely rule out. He's a 2021 draft pick, and uh, your tenth overall. Um, generally speaking, I think he'd definitely be a, a big time person of interest if he hadn't been hurt so much the last two years. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, if he had a good summer, if he's uh, feeling good, he at Dev Camp he was there. And Pierre Dorian referenced that he didn't take part in some of the drills, but he was able to shoot the puck as hard as ever and uh, is expected to be ready for camp. He's just the kind of guy that, you know, that's why you drafted him. You drafted him early because you didn't want to risk him getting away. They felt like, oh, everybody said, oh, because Bob McKenzie had him something around 29th, I think. And uh, people said, well, you should have probably traded down then. And uh, he still would have been there. But. It's interesting. Trent Mann actually was the guy that defended him the loudest. I'll be interested to see if that has any effect on Boucher's status with the club somehow. Because, uh, you know, when your biggest promoter gets removed from the team, I don't know if he was fired or if he quit, but Trent Mann is not here anymore. And uh, he apparently pushed really hard to get him at 10th overall. Anyway, point is, I think Tyler Boucher is still a, an interesting name. Don't think he'll make the team out of camp. But I, I, he is a guy to watch, for me anyway. Yeah, you're right. Like, at the 2021 draft picks, this is about the time where they should be having a serious showing. 
at a training camp, right? Like this is the time of a couple years after the fact, uh, at 20 years of age, this is the time. So it's either maybe you catch a sniff here and maybe you make something in a lower role up front, or, or maybe you you go down to Belleville and, and play hard and, and work your way up eventually. Cause that same draft is, is as Zach, uh, a stop Chuck, right? He was, I think he was the second round pick in that same draft, was he not? So there's another guy who maybe it's time for him to step up and, and grab a spot there in the in the bottom six. Certainly Boucher, you hope, gets healthy, and that's a that's a big hope for a lot of players because, I don't know, I mean, there's this probably other teams in the NHL that had similar injury problems that the Sens have had in the last couple of years. But I can't imagine there's been a team that has dramatically more injury troubles than Ottawa. And I think the Sens would be near the top of the charts as far as players who entered the summer, entered the offseason, leaving Ottawa for the final time last season injured and looking to head into the summer, rehab, uh, try and get back in shape and all that. But uh, you look at the list, it's, it's a pretty long one when you think about it. Josh Norris. Thomas Shabbat, Anton Forsberg, Jacob Chikrin, Ridley Gregg, Parker Kelly, Travis Hamanick, and finally Tyler Boucher. All those guys, when they left Ottawa, they weren't going into a healthy summer of training. They had some rehabbing to do with their various injuries. And so uh, Tyler Boucher is not uh, not the lone wolf in that particular department. I'd like to see him come through. I, I really would. I, I, you know, I'd be happy if, if he just played the full season in Belleville. I just want to mm-hmm. see the guy play a full year for the sake right. of, you know, I, I've got nothing to do with the scouting department of the Ottawa Senators. I've got nothing to do with the management there. I've had nothing to do with the development of Tyler Boucher as a hockey player, but there's a part of me that wants to see this guy do well for the whole angle of let's show some people how wrong they were. All these people who have got all these negative uh, statements about Tyler Boucher and where the Sens selected him and all that. Let's face it, everything that's happened in the last couple of years has not helped the argument that it was a good choice. So I'd just like to see the kid get an opportunity to play a full year somewhere and and then say, okay, this is what he is. Look, there it is. This is the guy we drafted. And whether that's a good player or not remains to be seen, but let's see him play 70 games and then then make a decision with, yeah, okay, it was a good pick or, yeah, you know, maybe it wasn't such a good pick. I'm on the same page just because the kid didn't ask to go 10th overall. Yeah. So to me, the, the, the milk is spilled. The die is cast. He's been selected. He's a member of the Ottawa Senators, regardless of how he got there and what pick he was used with. Don't put it on the kid where he was selected. You know, that's, that's not his call. And uh, he's had injury problems. That, that's certainly a concern. You know, because that's going to be his calling card to be a physical player in the league. That's why he was drafted where he was, because he was that unique combination of being physically imposing, but able to chip in with a little offense. The Tom Wilson effect, as they say. Um, so that's concerning that he keeps getting himself racked up. But yeah, I'm cheering for the guy, too, because I'm sure, like any other 18-year-old, he's reading the social media postings from Sens fans who are raging about it. Okay, rage about it, fine. But uh, don't put it on the kid. And uh, for all the grief that he's probably had to read about himself, uh, how can he not cheer for the kid just a little bit? I know that I was just, it was funny. We were talking about this off the air, how every once in a while you'll end up, you know, in the context of looking for things to talk about, particularly in mid-July. You're looking around, you end up on message boards, 
And every once in a while, you come across some negative press about yourself. Nobody likes to see that, let alone a kid in his formative years. And so for that reason, uh, if no other, I'd love to see the guy show up, make the NHL, and be a very good player for a long time. Here, here. Let's see it. All right. Moving on. What are you doing with your top six as far as forwards go? Well, yeah, like Nor- I, I, my, my, I'm going Norris, Kachuk, Batherson, and then the second line, Stutzla, Kubalik, and Giroux. What are you yeah, doing? Yeah, like I, I wrote it down as Kachuk, Stutzla, Giroux, because I'm thinking of who's number one in each of those slots. But then when I got to Kubalik, Norris, Batherson, I went, whoa, I don't know that I like that line so much. So, yeah, I, I, I can see uh, Norris playing up in Stutzla's spot to, to click with Kachuk. And, and I think that, you know, if, if you could get some chemistry going between Stutzla and Kubalik, a couple of euros who might uh, play similar games uh, that, that, that there might be a real pair there that can make some things happen together. And that might be interesting to see because we know that Norris can play with Kachuk. We know that Giroux can play with anybody. And I don't think that out of that top six, if there's anybody there that you need to hide, um, you know, maybe it's Kubalik. Is, is he the weakest of the six? I mean, maybe it's Batherson. Let's face it. He needs to have a bit of a bounce back this year. So you have to be careful with, with where you're placing people as far as strengths and weaknesses go. But I could see some chemistry between Stutzla and Kubelik happening for sure. And I certainly don't want people to sleep on Ridley Gregg because I think there's a chance that he could give Kubelik a run for his money at that second line left winger role. Ridley Gregg, when he's playing in the bottom six, didn't get a lot accomplished. But anytime he was paired with Giroux last year, uh, he made stuff happen. He he looked very good. When he plays with skilled guys, he's a skilled guy out there. And uh, if he can stay healthy, then I wouldn't rule Red, Ridley Gregg out in that second-line left-winger role. Uh, he's got tons of puck skill. He's a little on the feisty side. I, I worry about that, you know, kind of writing checks that his body can't catch. He's not exactly the biggest of guys, but he certainly has the skill, I think, to maybe not right now, but soon enough, to potentially play in a top six role and give a guy like Kubalik a run for his money. That's a good point. I, I, I could see that too. That's Kubalik is really a bit of a wild card, right? Hey, Steve, it's, it's, mm-hmm. is he a guy that's, that's at the right age, that's ready to break out that the Sens have finally acquired somebody in a trade that uh, may be better than, uh, than everyone thought he was, or is he exactly what he is or what he has been? You know, his, his times in Chicago, he had some really good seasons early in his career in Chicago. If he can refine some of that, and again, if he's given the opportunity to play in the top six, then he gets off to a good start, like look out. Then then the writing's on the wall, and sorry, Ridley, this kid's really, really clicking up front here, and, and you're not going to grab that spot. And, and Greg Pinto Joseph, if Joseph can rebound too, like, let's face it, there's a couple of question marks, too, isn't there? Guys who didn't exactly perform last year up to the level that you would have liked. And I think that Joseph might be the top of that list. There's a guy who we all had penciled in playing on the third line. We thought it was going to be uh, Joseph Pinto and Mott, I think, to start last season, right? And thought, okay, that that's going to be good to watch. But Joseph did not perform well. Another guy who needs to step up this year. Uh, I think you can get more out of Batherson this year. Um. Yeah, I, I I think that Kubalik, if he starts out well, will pretty much seal the the fate of Ridley Gregg as being a third liner. Well, I mean, for now, anyway, because yeah, uh, he's only got one anyway. year left on his contract, and maybe that's maybe that's bringing Gregg along slower. And uh, yeah, as with Gregg, Joseph is an interesting one because when he did arrive from Tampa Bay, 
he got to play in the top six and he had like 12 points in 11 games before getting injured. So he's another guy who's proven if he's playing up in the lineup, he can, uh, he can produce, but when he's in the bottom six, he doesn't tend to produce that much, but uh, we shall see. He does. I agree with you. If he's in the bottom six, he's got to chip in a little more offensively than he currently has been here in the last year. Introducing the all-new 2023 Ford Bronco Sport, now available at Jim K. Ford. With its rugged design and off-road capabilities, this SUV is built for adventure. Whether you're heading off the beaten path or just cruising around town, the Bronco Sport delivers performance, comfort, and style. With four-wheel drive, terrain management system, and advanced safety technology, you can take on any road with confidence. Adventure awaits at 1438 Uville Drive in Orleans or JimKFord.com. At Jim K. Ford Lincoln, we say yes! ADSS Global is your trusted partner for all your accounting and financial management needs. Our team of certified Sage 300 experts will help you streamline your financial operations, optimize your cash flow, and improve your bottom line. We have the solutions. Hear what one of our satisfied customers has to say. The Algonquin Students Association has been with ADSS for over 10 years. Mark and his ADSS team are reliable and respond quickly to our requests and needs. Call ADSS Global today at 613-221-5950 or email mcashman at adssglobal.net. And check out their new website, adssottawa.com. The one last thing I want to mention is we take stock of things in mid-July. <laughs> I want, uh, and I, I just, I, could, I couldn't help it. And I'm looking at the... Uh, you know, unrestricted free agents that are still available and uh, what might be out there as far as possible trades. And I couldn't help but think, okay, it, it, you know, is this it? Is, are they going to make any more moves? And the one other thing I wanted to ask you about is we've talked about the players, but is there a championship ingredient that the Sens are missing right now, whether it's offense, whether it's defense, whether it's you know toughness or goaltending? Do you see something right now that, the Sens still are missing the boat on? Well, I think we just talked about the one biggest thing that they're missing the boat on, and that is more production out of the third line. Like, definitely need need much more out of the third line than they've gotten in the past couple of years. And that's part of rebuild, the of part of the rebuild and now building a championship team is that depth and that depth of scoring and that they're not going to hurt you and they're going to chip in with goals at the same time. They, they Forwards uh, seven, eight, nine have never performed very well here in Ottawa over the course of the last few years, mainly because there's been a bit of a dearth of talent there. But you've got talented players there now, so they need to produce. I think that's one of the biggest thing that's missing. I think the other thing, the other biggest championship uh, nugget that's missing is a championship. You don't really have a lot of guys. Matter of fact, yeah. I can't think of one who's who's played on a on a championship team in the NHL or had a deep playoff run, even like even Matthew even Joseph, Claude, you know, Matthew Joseph is, is really the only one you even Claude Giroux never really went that far in the playoffs. Um, Travis Hammond final. Yeah. But once <laughs> uh, Hamannick a little bit here and there, you know, I just, you you are missing other than a couple sprinkled names here and there. You're missing people who've been there, done that. You don't have any of that, you know, or you don't have enough of that. And there's a right. certain swagger that comes with that. There's a certain an attitude and an approach that those players, those types of players are going to bring, and you don't have a lot of that. I'll throw goaltending into the mix as well in, a, in an ingredient that they might be missing. 
just because I'm always skeptical of having two goalies who are being asked to do something they've never done before. Maybe you can, you know, roll through in a true platoon situation and and that will work. But uh, neither of these guys have been number one goalies for an extended period in the NHL. But uh, we always talk about how, you know, there are almost no goalies in the NHL who are starters at the age of 24 or younger. Uh, so these guys, one's 29, one's 30, maybe one of them, maybe both are ready to take it to the next level. But just the fact that, you know, one of them tore both his MCLs last year, ending his season. The other one is uh, he got through last year, totally fine. But it's, you know, he he got back from hip surgery in uh, November of the last season. So I always worry about goalies and the butterfly and uh, all the torque that's going on with groin and hips and stuff and coming off hip surgery. I still, you know, you got this guy for the next five years too. That's, um, yeah. that's certainly something to at least keep an eye on. So I'll throw that, I'll throw goaltending in there as this, as one of the things the Sens might be missing, but uh, I reserve the right to take that back once, uh, once we see them in action for the coming season. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, uh, uh- what do you see as being the most probable outcome from that goaltending platoon situation? Assuming that those are the two guys and they're going to be the two guys for the whole year. Do you see it being as one steps up and plays 65 out of 82? Or do you see it more of a 45, 55? You know, how, how are you, how do you think it's going to play out? I think it'll strictly be, you know, maybe one goalie plays 10 games more than the other. And then come playoff time, the first guy gets in there. If you win that game, it's basically winning your in. Whoever gets hot in the playoffs, that's the guy that you uh, that you rock with. I, I I generally don't like the platoon situation. If a yeah. guy gets his mojo going and, and really gets in a groove and everybody's confident because he's in that groove, I tend to stick with that. But I don't see either of these goalies having been dazzling at this stage of their careers at any stage where I say that guy's way better than that other guy. And you've also got history to draw back on. They are the platoon goalies from the 2018 AHL title with the, uh, what were they called? The uh, Lake Erie monsters, Columbus's top farm club. So they've been down this road before working together and they've both been interviewed about each other and they both say uh, the other guy's great. So, We'll we'll take that at face value and say they'll work nicely together in a platoon for the regular season. But I do think they'll eventually, whoever's coaching this team, will go to a number one come playoff time. So it's like a Rhodes tug nut scenario. Like, like people may may lose sight of that. That when the Senators first started getting good, it was a platoon situation. It was Rhodes and Tugnut with Jacques Martin coaching, and then eventually it was, you know, when they when they really got good and had to make a push the one year they traded Tugnut out and got Tom Barrasso in here to because they said, you know, we need a number one guy. Mm-hmm. I I think that one of them will step up. I, I, I think one of them's gonna end up being the number one guy and it's gonna be fairly obvious. And I, I think that that's gonna happen I would think within ten to fifteen games of the year, somebody's gonna step up and yep, this is our guy. And 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 We'll play more than 10 games more than the other guy. <laughs> I'll go out on a limb and say that. How's that? Obviously, the, the draft was a, a big one, but you know, this is, I guess, the official yeah. official welcome to the NHL, right? Nice. So, um, sign right here. Well, there's a nice way to celebrate your 18th birthday. Connor Bedard on Monday signed his first NHL contract, a three-year entry-level deal 
with the Chicago Blackhawks. And that would, uh, you know, it was a neat you know, moment as, uh, his mom and dad and uh, his sister, I think it was, that were all there for the signing. And what are your expectations for Connor Bedard's first season in the league? I was out the other day and there was a young man, probably about 21 years old, suggesting that uh, Connor Bedard is actually going to be not nearly as good as people think just because of his size up against uh, NHL players. So I throw that out there just as a kind of a devil's advocate because I think we're both on the same page about Connor Bedard. But what are you expecting from Bedard in his first season in Chicago? A point a game. I think he'll get, uh, he'll score 40 goals. I think he'll have 80 points. And I think it'll be the lowest total point, uh, his lowest point total in a season over the course of the next 10 years. He's right. going to take off from 82 points next year and just take off from there. It, it really is. This, this kid is, is very, very special and will show it every night, in my opinion. No concern about the size factor. None. Nope. Yeah, I'm the same way. Same way, like uh, you know, a lot of people thought that uh, this is short, and then they're small. Short, then small. Marty Saint Louis was often thought of as small. He was not. He was short, because if you ever look at his lower body, like uh, Greek god stuff, and Connor Bedard isn't Marty Saint Louis in terms of that kind of leg size, but it's in the vicinity. Absolutely low center of gravity, strength. Um, you know, he might get knocked around a little bit in the early going, but he's one of those guys that's slithery. You know, I've always said that about Eric Carlson, not a very big hockey player, but rarely ever gets thundered because he's slithery, because that first stride just gets him out of all kinds of trouble out there. So I think Connor Bedard's going to be just fine in that area. That's the only reason I could even remotely think that he might struggle in the NHL just because of that adjustment. I say, you know, takes him a week or two and he's right up to speed. And uh, it wouldn't shock me if he gets beyond a point a game. I'm going to throw him in at uh, a 95-point season. That's how much I think of Connor Bedard's skill. Okay. Well, I, I was on record as saying that I thought Cole Caulfield was going to be a flop. And I was looking real good in the early years there with Dom Ducharme was coaching the Habs. Marty right. San Luis showed up, and suddenly Cole Caulfield's a pretty good player. But, uh, no, I, I, Connor Bedard is better than that. I, I think that Connor Bedard, when all is said and done, when he's finished growing will be reminiscent of, of a Sidney Crosby with the strength in the legs and the lower body and that, that hockey player's butt. And, and he'll, he'll, he'll be doing some amazing things for a long time for the Chicago Blackhawks. Moving on to the hockey night in Canada panel. I mentioned that Ooh. before break and a lot of people were reacting to a story that was talked about, or at least written about by a, former longtime Rogers Sportsnet employee, Howard Berger. And I'll be up front. Um, like every interaction I've ever had with Howard Berger, and there haven't been many, I came away from it going, that guy is a class A jerk. <laughs> and you know me. How, how many times have I said that yeah. about somebody? I, I don't go out in a limb and bury people like that. That's what I think of Howard Berger. But he reported that there were going to be sweeping changes to Hockey Night in Canada and the broadcast panel next season. So it could mean the end of Ron McLean, Kelly Rudy, Kevin Bieksa, Jennifer Botterill, that the only guy that might return might be Elliot Friedman. And uh, immediately, because of the source, I didn't put a lot of stock into it, but boy, oh boy, did a lot of people did. And uh, now we've learned from John Shannon, who is a reliable source, who who is a very likable person, 
Uh, he's uh, he quoted that I guess Ron McClain was at a charity event over the weekend and told everybody, "Don't worry, I'm not going anywhere." But uh, what what was your initial thought when you thought, okay, maybe there'd be massive changes to the panel next year? Well, my my initial thought was the boatload and truckloads and mega loads of cash that that Rogers paid to originally acquire the rights to Hockey Night in Canada uh, that cuts, and they've been losing money every year, that cuts were definitely in, inevitable to come. Like they, we've seen it happen across media in the last, uh, most recently, like within the last month and prior to that every year, more and more, you keep seeing it. So my initial thought was, yeah, I could see that happening with there being cuts from a financial standpoint. But then when it was the idea that only Elliot would be back, I'm thinking, well, they tried getting rid of Ron once, and that didn't work too well. I think the only time you're going to be able to get rid of Ron is when Ron says, I've had enough. Uh, I love David Amber, though. I, I would be just as fine if it were David Amber every night. But Elliot, like, you love Elliot, but you can't get rid of Kevin Bieksa. My God, I, I don't know what he costs, yeah. but he's he can't be as expensive as Ron, but he's probably pretty expensive. It probably cost him pretty buck to get him. Um, but uh, you know, like if Kelly Rudy were gone, okay. Uh, Jennifer Botterill is very good. She's gotten better and better as every year has gone on. I, I enjoy what she brings to the broadcast, but BX is the star and you can't go on without BXA. And I can't see them wanting to try to go on without Ron and everything Elliot brings is phenomenal, especially Elliot's the, his 32 thoughts, little mini show there in the second period every night is great. So I, I can see some cuts happening, but I don't know that they're going to go quite as deep as old Bergy thinks they're going to go. Yeah, my feeling is I, I don't think I have I don't have any issues with anybody that's on the panel right now. I might I might think about just randomly cutting it down. I don't know that I need to hear from that many people at once. Ron and two other people would be fine mm-hmm. um, because they generally don't go around the table and have everybody on the panel give their opinion. They usually go to two people. They give their opinion on subject A. And then subject B, they bring in the other two people to chime in. But in terms of the actual caliber of the broadcast, I like them all. I, I wasn't keen on Jennifer Botterill out of the gate, but she's really grown on me. I think she's really gotten good. Kelly Rudy, um, I, I think the guy is just an absolute gentleman, a first-class human being. And so any sort of, I don't know, anytime he goes a little sideways where I don't agree with something or I kind of scratch my head like, what was that about? I cut him some slack because of the person he is. So I like mm-hmm. the panel as is. And Ron McLean, I'd say same thing. Total gentleman. Um, anybody who spent 10 minutes with Ron McLean, I've had a chance to do that like on a number of occasions, probably interviewed him half a dozen times. I, I challenge anybody to spend a little time with him and not be a fan of him. He just, I think if I was to be his agent and give him some advice, it would be just do less. You know, yeah. you don't need to come up with a clever pun every time. You don't need to, you know, do your Elvis impression. Uh, just, just, you know what? Do what Ron McLean does great, and 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 uh, come up with subject matter and and chat and and be the hockey man you are. And I think that uh, you'd probably have a longer career and not have any of these, you know, Howard Berger reports come along or or people criticizing you on social media. So uh, that's where I'm standing with uh, Hockey Night in Canada, and I'm glad that uh, that it looks like. Uh, the whole report was garbage. Yeah, so far that's that's the way it looks. Anyway, that's yeah. funny. I mean, my, my Howard Berger story. I started at CHRY FM one hundred and five, Steve, mm-hmm. North York's first and only radio station. 
and I used to go to Leaf games and Blue Jay games. I used to come home at night and then see my hand on the TV because I was holding the mic up when they were doing the interviews. And you're right. Howard Berger was an absolute jerk. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to turn it into a, you know, Barry Howard Burger <laughs> show, but uh, here we are. We, we've we've uh, arrived at this place. Finally, uh, top UFAs in the NHL. Uh, there are a few out there. Let me just run through the list that Sportsnet came together, and we'll go backward from 10 right up to 1. We'll do the David Letterman thing. Uh, top mm-hmm. 10 UFAs still available as of Monday, July the 7th. Jonathan Taves checking in at number 10. That's followed by Zach Parise. Martin Jones, 33-year-old goaltender. You've got Pius Suter, 27 years of age. His cap hit last year, $3.25 million. He was actually a guy the Sens had in training camp and uh, and didn't do anything with him. They let him roll. This is about three, four years ago now. Tony D'Angelo at number six. You got Thomas Tatar at five. Patrice Bergeron at four. Uh, Vladimir Tarasenko talked about a lot here in Ottawa at number three. Patrick Kane, number two. And Matt Dumba at number one. Is there anybody at all as we wrap up the show that would intrigue you for the Sands? Not really. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I, I know a lot of talk about Thomas Tatar, but I've, I've looked at his playoff stats. People have said it a couple times now. Not exactly a big game player. Um, from what I've heard about uh, Vladimir Tarasenko, doesn't sound like the kind of guy that's going to be uh, wanted in this dressing room everything I've heard, uh, work ethic, habits, character, uh, personality-wise, I don't think he's going to, he would not fit well here from everything I've read and heard. Uh, Kane and Taves have no reason to ever come here. Uh, You don't want Matt Dumba trying to play defense for you. Uh, Nobody wants to touch D'Angelo. Pius Suter, I think, is no better or no worse than, you know, maybe he's a, maybe he's a third-line guy here. He did well in Chicago, not so well. Uh, was it Detroit he was in last year? Yeah, 24 uh, points yeah. in 79 games. Yeah, like, okay, great. Not, not, he's not really a, a, an improvement per se on anything that's, that's playing in your, in your uh, third line here now. You don't need Jones. He's a goalie. Prize's too old. Berkey Bergeron's not coming here. So really nothing there really jumps out at me as saying, yeah, let's go after that guy. And I, I think you're on the same page. Yeah, and that's part of, you know, that dovetails the show nicely and that uh, we've come full circle. We started the show talking about there's probably not any jobs that will change much uh, with the Ottawa Senators roster in training camp. And, and that, you know, even if they went UFA shopping and looked at that, they'd say, nah, we're good. I think we're good. And so I don't expect the, uh, unless, unless there's some blockbuster trade that Pierre Dorian has up his sleeve. And I'm starting to be here on July 17th. Starting to think things are winding down where the golf course or the Muskokas is starting to look pretty nice right now. I have a feeling that uh, what you see is what you get, but hey, stranger things have happened. Let us call it quits there, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for being with us. Don't forget we have a website, sensnationhockey.com. Also invite you to check out the hockey news page, thn.com slash Ottawa. I'm the site editor there. We've got all kinds of great articles and uh, yeah, so that's what's going on outside the podcast. Greg, enjoy your day, and we shall talk to you later in the week. For sure, Stephen, and, and, and a very happy 67th birthday to God himself, Brian John Trache. Oh, yes. The Islander affiliation comes streaming out at the end of the program. And as long as we're talking Islanders, we should probably tip our cap to uh, the late Bill McMillan, who passed away this year, this week at the age of 80. He was an Islander assistant coach on the very first Islander victory of four 
part of that dynasty. So uh, we tip our cap uh, skyward to Bill McMillan. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being with us, and we'll talk to you in our next episode. Thanks for being with us on the Jim K. Ford Sends Nation podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and review or become a member on Patreon. Check out our website today at SendsNationHockey.com.